Well, good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. Today we finish up our series on the Holy Spirit by examining an often underdeveloped role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers by uniting them through baptism. We will look at the primary purpose of spirit baptism as well as address some of the frequent misunderstandings as we seek to recognize the Spirit serving as the glue that holds God's family together. Thanks for listening. Uh, this past week, my uh, wife and I and our, um, our little dog and our daughter, we, we went out to Copper Harbor. We got away. It was kind of nice to just get away. Um, our nine-year-old was at uh, Bible camp, and so we felt like we had a little bit more time to ourselves. And uh, we drove up to Copper, Copper Harbor, and I don't know if you've ever been up there. Beautiful up there, just, just lovely. But they don't have much uh, for cellular service or, <laughs> or internet. or I mean, there's just not a lot of uh, distractions, which is a good thing. But you find that you end up facing uh, this strange need to be plugged in again. And so in the vacuum of not having anything to... Um, distract myself with as the sun was going down I turned on the news I don't I don't often watch the news and what I saw was really disturbing Um, I was I was really kind of shocked almost like culture shock because I'm not used to watching the news in the way in which it feels like uh, the media today looks for anything negative that they can find and that becomes the biggest like front leading story uh, not to leave it in this place where it's just kind of negative and just kind of there, but to continue to, to look and, and, and to poke and to make it. Uh, and I, I, even, I even watched this, um, this report that they were giving uh, where uh, the president, um, instead of maybe being quiet on social media, adds a little more fuel to the fire itself. And, uh, and then you know what the media does? They, they, they like sharks. They, they smell that and they attack. And then um, the, the politicians, uh, then they dig their heels in and they defend. And this goes back and forth and back and forth. And I, and I watch it and I, I really honestly believe that unless there's humility somewhere, it will only continue to escalate. This will only continue to get worse. I was talking with... Um, a family member. I have a cousin who works in the media uh, for a politician in D.C. And uh, his, his dad was telling me how, according to his first-hand reports from being right there on Capitol Steps, uh, this nation is more divided than it's ever been. I'm not entirely sure we always see that here in the U.P., uh, but certainly the reports that are coming from the big cities that are coming from where the rallies are happening, we are divided We are divided. Well, that's because we're people. That's how people are. God knew this when he came to redeem us. He knew that we are a kind of people who love to look for the gossip. We are a kind of people who love to watch someone fail. That's how people are. It's human nature. God knew this. And so when he redeemed you, he didn't leave you to figure it out yourself. Instead, he gave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and it changes us. It causes us not to think the way we would think anymore. It causes us to want to live like Jesus Christ. To pursue peace with our fellow 
man, our fellow woman. We've been in a series for the last few weeks entitled The Holy Spirit, and we have walked faithfully through Romans chapter 8. This morning, we're going to do a little bit of a departure from that as we put a a kind of a capstone on the end of understanding the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. Um, We're going to be in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians in chapter 12. And as we look at chapter 12, we're going to see that the Apostle Paul, when he recognizes the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is going to highlight, he's going to elevate One attribute above all for the purpose of why you have the Holy Spirit. It's a a fantastic thing to belong to the family of God, isn't it? You you should call each other brother and sister if you don't. We should get into that habit because we're a family. That's what we are. And as a family, maybe you've had this experience. Um, If you've ever gone over to a, a neighbor's house or a stranger's house, you know how you... You kind of take a little time warming up. You know, like you take your shoes off right away and you're very polite. And, but then when you go over to your family's house, what do you do? You just go straight to the fridge, right? <laughs> yeah, what do we got? What do we got in here? Uh, because why? Because they're, they're family, right? And when you're with family, you're home. And that's how it's supposed to work. Do you, you know something I want to tell you today? That's how it's supposed to work with the church of Jesus Christ. You should be able to walk into any building where the church gathers. I don't care what the name on the sign says. And you should feel right at home. You should feel like you could uh, keep your shoes on, take them off. You could go go in the kitchen, go and look in the fridge. It's no problem. You're home, folks. You're home. This is the family of God. And yet, we are still in process. We're all not there yet. And we never will be there until resurrection. But I want you to see how uh, the Apostle Paul recognizes this. And he recognizes that's the importance of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Look with me. Just two verses. Verse 12 and verse 13. We're going to make some observations. This morning is going to be a little bit like a Bible study. And uh, I'll move quickly uh, through things. But you have a, you have a sermon uh, insert in your bulletin uh, for a handout which will help you along. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The body is a unit, though it's made up of many parts. Though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given The one spirit to drink. I I almost don't need to preach this. I feel like we almost get it already. Say amen if you got it. All right, all right, let's pray and be done. No, I'm joking. I'm gonna I'm gonna preach anyhow. A beautiful passage that shows uh, the purpose of the spirit to be given to us is that it would draw us into how many bodies? What did it say? How many? One body. Just one. Not a divided body, even though there's many different parts. They still form just one body. Uh, There's a word in here that I do want us to pay attention to because uh, we are so fortunate this day that God has blessed this little congregation to experience two forms, two signs of God's grace to us. We're going to celebrate that in communion a little bit later on, but we're going to celebrate that all the more as we have a baptismal service. 
And I want us to see the difference between what we do in the representation of water baptism as opposed to what is called spirit baptism. So I've entitled this sermon, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever had some questions on this, hopefully this will help clear it up. If not, please approach me because I'd love to continue the conversation outside of our time that we have here today. Uh, First thing I want you to see in this is that the baptism of the Spirit marks our unity with Christ and our entrance into His body called the church. That's what spirit baptism does. Right off the bat, you can't move around or get beside or go over under the purpose of the Spirit to draw us into one body. You will see this in our passage for today. Uh, Did you see it right in the middle? To be baptized by one Spirit so as to form... One body. That was it. Everybody said amen. You've already caught the main idea. I'd like to show you a couple other verses that we would understand a few other aspects of spirit baptism. The second is this. The baptism of the spirit is different from water baptism. It's different. It's not the same thing, even though in the early church it was many times seen as happening simultaneously. For when a person came to faith in Jesus Christ, they heard the good news. They said, I want that. I want to respond by faith to that. That at that moment, they receive the baptism of the Spirit. And the church leaders look and they say, well, let's get you baptized. Let's find some water right now. What What could stop us? Because now you're a member of the body. And the sign of that, the picture of that, is this image of dying to self. That's when you go under the water. And raising to new life in the same way that Jesus Christ raises us and will raise us to new life. You'll see this uh, shown in Mark chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1. This is John the Baptist. He says, I baptize you with water, but he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again in Acts, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want us to know that there's a distinction between these. Even though early in the church they saw them very closely linked. So first, it unites us into one body. Secondly, it's different from water baptism. Thirdly, the baptism of the Spirit is when the Spirit takes up residence in your heart. This is when the Spirit of God comes to live in you. Uh, Paul says this in Ephesians 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him the whole building joined together and become, becomes a holy temple to the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You are being built up. And the picture here is of a, a structure. It's called a building where the spirit of God comes to live. He takes up residence in our hearts. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 3.16, just a real short passage in the middle of Paul's uh, letter. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Some people think that you need to go to a place to experience God. In the Old Testament, they did. Does anyone know what they called the building where the Spirit of God lived? What was it called? It was called the temple. And what city was it in? It was in Jerusalem. So if you wanted to go and commune with God, you had to you know, pack up your stuff and you had to go to Jerusalem. 
Because that's where he lived. But now in the New Testament, that's not how it works anymore. Like God promised this long ago. It shows up in the writings of the prophets that he would pour out his spirit on all mankind. Men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. That God now comes and he lives within us. I think that's one of the... One of the things you feel on a Sunday morning, I feel it every Sunday we come together. Every Sunday where we pray and ask God to bless our service, I feel it. It's like if you took one candle by itself and you could see the light, right? And you're all a candle. You all have the light of God. You're a light to the world. But what happens when you bring a bunch of candles together? You don't have a candle anymore. What do you have? You got a fire. And that's what it should feel like. It's not that you come into this place and there's something magical about the the pretty windows, it's, it's not. God doesn't live in a building. He lives in you. And the moment that happens is when the Spirit baptizes you. The baptism of the Spirit is when the Spirit takes up residence in your body. All right, number four, the baptism of the Spirit happens after you believe the gospel. It doesn't happen before, it happens after I want you to see this from Ephesians chapter 1. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. That the baptism of the Spirit, when he comes and he marks your heart, when he comes up and takes up residency in your heart, that doesn't happen before, but that happens at the moment of faith. When you choose to place your trust in Jesus Christ, to call on him, the name above all names, to say, I don't want to drive the vehicle of my life any longer, like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel, right? That moment is when you become, as the gospel writer John will say, uh, recording Jesus' words, born again. And you are now God's child. This happens after you believe. Fifthly, this... Baptism of the Spirit marks the moment of regeneration and new birth, which is a little bit of what I was just explaining. Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ. You see it? You're children of God. Well, what makes me a child of God? Well, because you have been baptized into Christ. That's that picture of spirit baptism. When he comes... To envelop all that you are. To live in your body. To dwell with your spirit. That rebellious, immature, I want it my way spirit that we all come into this world with. And the Holy Spirit, like a loving parent, comes to gently correct us sometimes. To rebuke us at other times. The Bible says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And this is the work of the spirit in our lives. So we are God's children. uh, For we are baptized into Christ and have clothed ourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is not male or female. You are all, what's it say? One. One what? I was fishing for the word family. You're all one family. That's what we are. We're one family in Christ. All right, last observation I want you to see here in terms of spirit baptism. Is that the baptism of the spirit ought not be confused. With another work of the Spirit, which is the filling 
work of the Spirit. The Spirit has many purposes in the life of the believer. The baptism is one that happens when you believe, but the filling is one that continues to happen, continues our entire life. A few points to see in this. Baptism is a one-time event. It happens once. You, you don't get the Spirit and then lose the Spirit. Uh, the Bible said He's a guarantee. Well, what good is a guarantee if you can lose it? Uh, the Bible says He's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in you and to stay with you. Even if we are faithless, He is faithful. I want you to see this from Ephesians Chapter 5, this is the primary passage we look to to understand the filling work of the Spirit. It says, "Don't, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I want you to see a few things here. This, uh, this is a command. This is what you are to do. But it's a one-time, uh, uh, the baptism of the Spirit is a one-time event. And the filling here, the verb here in Greek is used in the present tense, which means it's continual. This isn't just a one-time, just be filled and you're all set. You know why? Because we're all like leaky buckets. Have I, have I told this that before? Anyone have a leaky bucket? I, I was washing, uh, trying to wash the car the other day and had a crack right in the bottom. And I, I'm, I'm doing one tire and I look down, all the water's gone. So what do I need to do? I fill back up again. That's what we're like. These bodies and these minds that are still corrupted by this world, uh, you'll be moved, you'll be impassioned to follow the Lord with your whole life, but then, you know, Monday and Tuesday, and then your spouse and the kids and work, and pretty soon, oh yeah, I'm all out of the Spirit. (laughs) It's not that you've lost Him. It's that He lost you. God doesn't move. It's not how much of the Spirit you get, it's how much of you does the Spirit get. And that's why we need to be filled. Continually filled is a present tense verb. Uh, secondly, not only is it a one-time event, but also baptism is permanent. It is permanent. Whereas filling is temporary. It comes and it goes. It comes and it goes. Uh, Ephesians 1, as we've looked at already, says, You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. It's permanent. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5. Uh, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. Who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. It's permanent, folks. The the baptism of the Spirit. Once you have it, you have it. Thirdly, baptism is not experiential. And I, I put in here the word not necessarily experiential. When you get saved, that might have been an emotional moment. It may have been experiential. And for many uh, people that we find in the New Testament, it was. In fact, the sign to recognize to the Jewish people that somebody had the Holy Spirit was that they would start to speak in another language that they had not been taught. And these Jewish folks looked and they said, well, they've clearly got the Holy Spirit because that was the same manifestation that we got back in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit descended on the church. However, it is not always experiential. It's not always experiential. In fact, here are all the other verses in the book of Acts where there are conversions and there's no outward expression mentioned. They they believe and they get saved and that's the end of it. So the baptism of the Spirit isn't necessarily experiential, but the filling is. Do you remember what it said in Ephesians? Don't get drunk on wine because that affects your behavior. what, what, What does alcohol do to a person? It controls them. It controls them. 
It makes it so they have a harder time acting in their right sense of their mind. And some people enjoy that. Other people, um, they, they, they find it even an addiction. God says, don't be controlled by wine. Don't be controlled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. So baptism is not experiential. Not necessarily experiential, but filling is. It's that moment where, and this happened to me the other day, where I'm driving like 55, because I always keep the speed limit. <laughs> and this car, right on M95, decides to pull out right in front of me. So what do I got to do? Oh, slow way down. Do you ever have to, am I the only one that really gets irritated by that? <laughs> oh my goodness. And now I'm on a curve and I can't even pass. So you know what I'm tempted, you know what I'm tempted to do? This doesn't happen to you, but this is me. I'm tempted to go right up under bumper. <laughs> Just to let them know. Now, now how am I acting then? Am I acting much like Jesus Christ or I'm acting like Ryan, right? Yeah. My bucket did what? Ran out. Yeah. You, you see, the filling of the Spirit, it's experiential because it affects how you and I live. It affects how you and I behave. That one person makes that one comment that you know just, ooh, that struck me and I'm re- I'll tell you something. Let me just, oh, i got to reel that in, right? i gotta, I got to be less of me and i got to have more of Him. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is something uh, that is experienced by believers. Uh, when you got saved, you might not be able to even remember that. I doubt you spoke in tongues. But when you get filled with the Spirit, you will change how you act. And it needs to happen continually. Lastly, in this last um, observation of the difference between the baptism and the filling, is that baptism is a gift. And filling is a command. We read it. It said in Ephesians, right, that you... Um, be filled. It's an imperative present tense verb. It's also passive, meaning that it's not something that you do, but you allow it to be done by you. So it's this idea that you are commanded to yield your life to the Spirit. That's what you're commanded to do. But the baptism of the Spirit, you're never commanded to pursue. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say to pursue the baptism of the Spirit. Instead, it says this. This is in Acts chapter 10. It shows up in Acts 2 as well. Uh, The circumcised believers, this is Peter preaching, uh, and the Jewish people that were with him, who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. That when the Holy Spirit comes to you and I, He comes not as something that we deserve, like, yeah, it's about time I got the Spirit. It comes as a free gift that you and I never deserve. It's a gift. It's not a command. So, I want us to see, and don't be confused with the difference between these two. All right, let's wrap this up. And I, I want to invite you, if you've been following along or recording these, to go back to, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. And I want us to quickly see just four observations for how we can follow in obedience to what we see in the Spirit's work of baptizing us, the Spirit's work of indwelling us. First is this, we have been united with Christ, which means you cannot continue in unrepentant sin. You can't continue in unrepentant sin. The Apostle Paul is going to write in Roman, Romans chapter 6, Shall we continue in sin so that grace 
will abound all the more. Because, church, God never runs out of grace. I hope you came today ready to receive some again. Because we need it every day. We need it every moment. God never runs out of grace. So the believer, however, is not allowed to say, well, then let's keep sinning. God never runs out. I see how the system works. I found a loophole. That's not how it works. Because Paul will say, how can we continue in it? For we have died to sin. For you and I were dead to sin when we were buried in baptism with Christ. The picture of baptism is one that shows that our life died with Christ on the cross. He'll say this in Galatians. I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Christ now lives within me. And the life that I live in the body, I live for Jesus Christ. It's impossible for us. Did you see this from 1 Corinthians 12, right? It said the body is a unit. It's made of many parts. And though it's many parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. Jesus Christ is fully God. God cannot in, dwell within sin. Therefore, his followers, his children too, can't continue in sin. Now, who here is guilty of sin? So does that mean you're not a child of God? Here's what this means. The true child of God can't sin and say, oh, that's fine. Ain't no big deal. And then continue and continue and continue. You are not a child of God. You don't have the Holy Spirit if you can do that. But if when you sin, and it might take you a day, it might take you a week, you know, we have these hard hearts, but eventually you will find that the Spirit will win. Because the Spirit lives within you and He's greater than you. And you will find as being united with Christ is that you will come to the foot of the cross once again to find forgiveness is there. Repentance is the mark to follow the Spirit's leading in a Christian's life. So to be united with Christ means I can't continue in unrepentant sin. 1 Corinthians 12, as we saw right here, so it is with Christ. For we are marked with Him in His body. Secondly, we are united into one body. Therefore, you must have a hunger for the word of God and the people of God. Did you see where this showed up in our passage? Verse 13, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. This is called the church. And the version of it that meets here in Sagola from God's view, should be no different than the version of it that meets in Crystal Falls, than the version of it that meets in Iron Mountain, than the version of it that meets over in Felch. We are all one body. As one body, we are founded on the writings of the apostles and the writings of the, of the prophets, with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. Paul uses that image of a building as the foundation. So you have to have a hunger for this. Secondly, you have to have a hunger to be with all the rest of the candles. Right? When, when, when the lights of God come together, you should have a desire to be there as well. Because that's what you are. And maybe you feel that. If you've ever had, oh, life's been busy and the kids and soccer and it's just, well, and I haven't been to church in a while. If you're just like, oh, that's fine. I didn't even know I was missing church. Well, take some evaluation to your life. Because if you don't feel a hunger, if you don't feel a need to be involved with God's people... You may not have the light. You may not have the Spirit living in you. If, you. if you can go weeks and months with this just collecting dust, 
such that if even you hear one of these wonderful preachers we have on the radio come on and you're just flipping through, you might not have the Spirit. We need spiritual food, church. This is spiritual food. If the Spirit lives within you, you've got to feed it. You've got to feed your spirit. We need the fellowship of the believers. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 said that we are one body, right? You're united in one body. Therefore, we need to have a hunger. We need to have a hunger for God's word. We need to have a hunger to be with God's people. I wrote this down on my, my paper here. I said, there's no room for my corner, my pew, my section. There's no room for that in the body. It's not yours. It's ours. It's ours. All of this belongs to God, and we are part of his family. You've got to be careful if you want to keep something too close to yourself, right? Because we share it as a family. All right, number three is this. We're united with believers. Therefore, you must have a growing love for your neighbor. Look where this shows up in this passage. Right? One body, whether what? Jews or Greeks. Whether slave or free. Are there folks different from you in this world? Yep. Sometimes that's hard for people. The people who aren't just like you, sometimes that's tough. You know what you need to do? Because without the Spirit of God, we start to want to, you know, look down upon people that are different from us. It's human nature. But God doesn't leave you with your own spirit. He gives you His Spirit such that we would have a desire to love our neighbor. Do you know that doesn't come from you? Your desire to love your neighbor doesn't come from you. That comes from the Spirit living in you. And if God's family is composed and invited to have all nations of all different colors of skin, of all different ethnic backgrounds, well, what do you do with your family members? You open the door, right? You say, come on in. Because we are united together with believers. We must have a growing love for our neighbor. And lastly, we're united by the Spirit. Because of this, we have to have a growing affection and connection to the things of God and not the things of earth. This is, this is a mark, and every one of these, these, these five marks here are given by a Puritan preacher named Jonathan Edwards. And I, you can find them right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. How do I know if I'm a believer? Well, you're going to identify that you can't keep sinning without repenting. You're going to identify that you have a, a hunger for spiritual food and to be with God's people. You're going to identify, I have a love now for my neighbor. That jerk who used to... Blah, 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 right? Whatever it is. like You now feel for them. And, and, and when the snow falls this deep, you think, ah, oh, we should go help them. Right? Like you have a desire to love your neighbor. And lastly, you and I, we're in process to begin to love things of earth less. And to begin to love the things of God more. You can see it right here in the end when he says, We were all given one spirit to drink. And so the spirit that lives within us is the same spirit of him who is seated at the right hand of the Father. He who will come again to judge the living and the dead. And if that is true, then your heart and your mind ought to be occupied with where he is and not down here on earth. We need to have a growing affection and connection for the things of God.